You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening again. It's Wednesday, February the 9th. A little grey but not that cold here in TW11 this morning. It's the sort of day where lots of little pieces of news, mainly surrounding horses' running plans, have come to the fore, both over jumps here in Britain and Ireland and internationally. We'll be discussing some of those through the show. I'll also be talking to Jockey of the Month Tom Bellamy. I'll be talking to trainer Alan King, Group 1 winning trainer Alan King, who runs Edward Stone against third time lucky in the clash of the weekend at Warwick in the Kingmaker Novices Chase. And we'll be hearing from some of the connections uh, with horses bound for Saudi Arabia. Thady Gosden, Francis Graffard, Steve Asmussen later in the programme and J.A. McGraw will be here from Hong Kong. But picking up on those stories about where horses are, are going to run or or not going to run, the most significant concerns the champion hurdle runner-up Sharjah, who won't bid to go one better this year. He's come out of the race with a, an injury. He won't be ready in time, but he might be ready in time for Punchestown, says trainer Willie Mullins. Lydia Hislops with me this morning. Lydia, with him safely out of the way, does that mean it's even more of a coronation, even more of a foregone conclusion for the defending champ Honeysuckle? Well, it all hinges on his stable companion, doesn't it? And appreciate it and whether he makes it to, to Cheltenham. He didn't run in the Irish champion hurdle. The vibes were that that was deliberate rather than him still being um, behind the eight ball. Because obviously his season has gone wrong. He was meant to be novice chasing. Um, little setbacks meant that they've switched to hurdling. He didn't run in the Irish champion hurdle at the weekend, but that kind of looks deliberate and that they want to take Honeysuckle on at Cheltenham, where we know Appreciate It is proven in the Supreme, and that he will be uh, in a fitter state to take on a mare of Honeysuckle's calibre than he would have been comparatively at Leopardstown at the weekend. So yeah, now I think the reliance on the champion hurdle being anything other than a procession uh, falls on the shoulders of Appreciate It, probably solely. If Appreciate It won a champion hurdle on his seasonal debut, and Dave and I were discussing this on Monday, would that count as Willie Mullins' finest hour ever? And would it mean that he stayed as a champion hurdler? Um, which would be interesting. Would it count as his finest hour ever? It would be right up there, really, wouldn't it, in terms of recoveries? It and would if, be uh, superb. If, and if, if Willie Mullins is, you know, keeps his cards yeah, close enough to his, his chest and likes to, to play them as late as possible... He's got a couple of lieutenants there in Son Patrick and, uh, and Ruby Walsh who are quite happy to indulge in the, in the trainer talk. I, I like the piece in the Racing Post of uh, P- Patrick saying that he's spoken to Paul Townend and Townend said, can't wait to have a crack at her with the big horse. It's, a, it's, it's ramping it up, even if it never actually get, comes to pass. It's, I, I thought exactly the same about, <laughs> about what Patrick Mullins wrote on Monday. Exactly the same. So, uh, yeah, I... And one of the things that both Ruby Walsh and uh, Patrick Miller's always at pains to say is that you know Willie doesn't have this sort of grand plan that he's kind of got locked in a in a in a security coded coded room inside a safe somewhere in some some bunker somewhere that he just reacts to events and he reacts to what he sees and he tries to 
deploy the horses in the best race possible so that he can win as many Cheltenham Festival races as possible. That's his intent. It's a, Clisetton is a very Cheltenham-centric yard. And then obviously it moves on to, to Punchestown as well. Um, but he's in the game of winning as many Cheltenham races as he possibly can. It strikes me that he's, his efficiency is such now that there's just four key staging posts in the year. There's Christmas, mm-hmm. there's Dublin, there's mm-hmm. Cheltenham, there's Punchestown. And if you mark it by those staging posts, you won't go too far wrong. I agree, but I think he has the, the sort of the, the preparation for the key staging posts is slightly behind. There are a number of his teams of his team, and this would be particularly focusing on the novice chasers and the novice hurdlers, who are essentially one run behind where they should be at this stage. So, if you think at Saint Sam or Auton Couleur, the latter having fallen in the Irish Arkle, Saint Sam running really well, maybe shaping as though he wants to go up and trip for two and a half for the Turners. They would normally have had a couple of novice chasing runs by this stage. Instead, they've only uh, well, going into the Dublin Racing Festival. I mean, um, and so three coming out from Cheltenham, and instead they've only got two um so th- there has been this knock-on effect which Willie Mullins has, uh, has talked about all season about it being an exceptionally dry autumn whether that goes on to prove exceptional in the future I don't know but um th- there has been a, a, a little bit of a change and he has had to recalibrate calibrate to some degree I think this season and news that's broken this morning is that Gordon Elliott says he'll run likely run both his Caldwell construction owned horses in the triumph hurdle field door and Pied Piper. Is that the right call or would you split them? I think I would run them both in the in the Triumph. Yeah, I do. Um, I think that uh, Vauban has really sort of <laughs> driven a lorry through the grand plans of the Elliott team to a great degree, hasn't he? Um, in the, Immediately after the finesse, uh, Gordon Elliott was saying, OK, so I think Pied Piper's quite speedy, so maybe the Supreme will suit him better in the old course rather than the more comparative staying test of two mile one for the JCB Triumph Hurdle on um, the new course. But then Vauban goes and, and takes the scalp of Phil Dore, who has always been considered and still seems to be considered the better of the two juveniles, but he's more of a stayer. So you would think he's going to be suited by um, the triumph. Does he want to make sure that he gets the kind of race that he wants? I mean, Phil Dore will, I think, would want an end-to-end gallop at two mile one. Um, and uh, Pied Piper, well, he stays 14 furlongs on the flat, so you'd still think, even though he might have um, perhaps a bit more tactical speed than, than Phil Dore, um, that he'd still be able to deal with the, with the triumph trip. Vauban, I thought, was really interesting in that interview with you after on Racing TV after he won the um, Racing TV-sponsored Spring Juvenile, where he basically said it's going to take a good one to beat Vauban. It's rare that he's that bald in terms of confidence, don't you think? Yeah, and, and that he was sort of so keen to emphasise how much speed he felt the horse had. And, mm. and I think there's an idea that he could end up doing some stuff on the flat this season as well, which would be, which would be quite exciting, because he certainly well, got the pace to be a pattern race flat horse, I think, or a stakes flat horse. Definitely. I mean, he's won a listed over a mile and a half in France already. That was just on his fourth start. He was very, very progressive when switched to, to, to jumping. So you can, you can definitely see it. Um, will Gordon Elliott try to make it a real test of stamina? I think you've to got try to. And, I think so. I think so. To try and advantage the horse he perceives as being the best. There's another player, isn't there, in that race? I think we both agree agree on it. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm not talking about Brit- the British horses. Obviously, I'm not talking about the race. Of, I'm not talking about the race of fourth, Nick. I'm talking about whether the horse that can actually win it. Um, there was there's another one from the weekend, isn't there? Uh, yeah, the the third. Surely, Ilete Tom must have a chance. Yeah, yeah absolutely, definitely. Um, 
too far back in the way that the race developed, I think. Hurdling debut, all over the place a bit in terms of technique early, which is forgivable, came home really strongly. They're def- they'll definitely win it in the, in the triumph. Uh, because there are so many will he run it in this will he run it in that questions we ought to just ask right which race is he going to run it in which race should he run it in so Galapan de Shaw what will he do what should he do he should run it in the Turners absolutely I, I thought so after Christmas I am even more convinced after watching him win the Ladbrokes novice chase at Leopardstown over the weekend he the way he gains ground at his fences the speed and tempo at which he goes through, just burning off horses that are stayers. Uh, he even adjusts to his right, so he's going to be more comfortable on the new course than he would on the old course for the Brown Advisory. For me, absolutely everything points towards the Turners, and so inevitably he'll run in the Brown Advisory. Yeah, I think he might go three miles, but I agree with you that I think two and a half might be the better call. But I suppose he's looking at the, the opposition as well. Uh, what I, about honestly, the- I, honestly, Nick, I, I just, you know, I can't, I, I can't. Uh, yeah, I really don't think it matters. I think this is an exceptionally good horse. And if anything, with a horse that jumps like that, I would rather have a go at the slightly hesitant jumping Bob Ollinger over two and a half miles. I'd be pretty wary of Lompresse, I think, who also went at Sandown at the weekend, who stays at the two and a half miles. I'd be wanting to have more to have a go at that than I would jumping exuberantly over an extended three miles on an undulating track against a horse that jumps as efficiently as Brave Man's Game. I don't think the... Ballymore form is what the Bob Bollinger Brave Man's Game potential threat should be should be judged upon. What about Sir Gerhard, who I was monumentally impressed with? Two or two and a half for him? Uh, I would prefer two and a half because it would give him more time with his jumping. Now, I know there'll be an argument saying he had to make his own running. That's why he wasn't jumping very well. He jumped much better over Christmas. I, I don't know. I mean, clearly he's got a, got speed. There's no doubting on that. The doubting that he delivered a great, a great performance on on the clock. Albeit all, the races run over the course and distance that day all had subtle variations. So Gerhard had to bypass two out. Call me Lyrene. Um, the, that two out had been removed by that point and um, Honeysuckle had to jump two out in its usual position and she probably idled afterwards. Um, so Gerhard still having had run further, still clocked the, the, the quickest time and the way he came home really strongly I think was really impressive. Coming to the last with three stripe life, I thought coming to lay down something of a challenge, he needed a good jump. He got an okay one. Luckily three stripe life also only got an okay one but then he was really impressive on the run to the line he's got absolutely loads left i'd run him in the ballymore to give him more time at his hurdles and not be bothered about the stamina i also think because dysart dynamo would be better in the supreme Well, come what may this weekend, the best race could be the Kingmaker Novices Chase at Warwick with the two at the moment leading two-mile novice chasers in Britain set to run against one another. Um, we're not sure whether third time Lucky will go. We think he will. We're pretty sure Edward Stone will, will take his chance in his, in his final prep before, before Cheltenham. Alan King, his trainer, is with me now. Uh, Alan, how happy have you been with him since what was a pretty dominant performance at Kempton and that off the back of a pretty dominant performance at Sandown? Yeah, no, we've been very happy with him, Nick. Um, he obviously had a little break after Kempton. He had three fairly quick runs, um, and the build-up's gone really well. Um, Tom rode him last week over six fences. He, he jumped away lovely. His work's been good. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy where he is. I mean, there's always that sort of 
temptation now, it seems, from a lot of people, when, when horses do well and have a real flurry of good form before Christmas, to say, right, we'll, we'll batten down the hatches now and you won't see this horse again until, until the festival. For you as a trainer, is it quite important to get a, a prep in at a, an appropriate time? Well, it is for him um, because he can get very, very fresh. And um, as I described the other day, he can be a little bit like a bull in a china shop when he's really fresh. So I didn't want to be going to Cheltenham on the back, having not run since Christmas, you know. Um, whereas something like the Glancing Queen, I'm quite happy to leave her and go straight to Cheltenham because I think she's actually better fresh. But I've always felt Edward Stone wanted to run um, and this is, was always the target. I mean, nowadays, the, sort of the level of analysis of a horse's performance is, is is much more sophisticated than perhaps it was sort of twenty years ago. And you know, sort of people have said, "Well, does he jump a bit low? Does he take the odd liberty?" What's your kind of read of that? Well, look, he's 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 been round uh, he's been round Warwick a few times. I always think if you jump round Warwick, you'll go round anywhere. Um, so I, I I don't it hasn't worried me. Put it that way. And he seems to be a, a, a much more grown-up horse this year. Is that the sort of feeling you've got at home? And yeah, look, he's, he's he's a horse we've always rated right from the, the word go. And I mean, he he's into some bloody superstars on his bumper day, and you know, he's just taking a bit of time. He used to be very free, very keen, but he's he's, he's a, as he's got older. And I think those runs and those big handicaps last year stood him in good stead mentally. It it toughened him up. Um, and all right, I mean, his first couple of chases, we had a, we, we didn't get very far at Doncaster and we put that on hold last year. And then he got brought down at Warwick, but through no fault of his own. But since then, everything's gone well. And, you know, offence seems to have relaxed him. Um, so, yeah, it's just manned him up, you know. And, and two mile chases is something that you have you have a, a really good knowledge of. You've got great history with your your previous Arkle winners, uh, Voipor Estedes and and My Way to Souls. And so comparisons will always be invited. Are they reasonable comparisons with this horse? No, well they're totally different ties. I mean, My Way to Souls is weak, and the Arkle having won a world hurdle, you know. Um, Voipor, I wouldn't have thought has quite got the ability of Edward Stone, but he was a phenomenally tough horse. You know, the harder you trained him and ran him, the better he became. But um, you know, um, they're all—they're actually different types completely. And when um, you know, Edward Stone's come through the bumper route, you know, whereas the others were were ex-French. And when you look at what your likely contenders are going to be, if all goes well on Saturday, uh, you're, and you're facing the horses that, that came out of that two-mile novice chase at, at the Dublin Racing Festival, do, do you feel do you feel hopeful? Do you feel that you're you're I right? Have to at the... get Saturday out of the way first, but now I'm not. I can't worry about other people's horses. <laughs> I've just got to try and trade my own and see what happens. You know, I think he's a very good horse, and I think his form to this point says that. You know. He did a very good time at, at Sandown and he backed that performance at Kempton, really. So, um, you know, I don't think we have to say that. I think the, the, the form's there in the book for everyone to see. Alan King there talking about Edward Stone, who is he's one of those horses, isn't he, Lydia, who's sort of flying a little mini Union Jack in a, in a gale. <laughs> tiny, tiny, weedy. Tiny, tiny little Union Jack in a very strong gale. I suppose there's Dr. Parnassus and Knight Salute in the Triumph, who I was at. We, 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 yeah. we, we, and, and, of course, and I, and I made this point yesterday to Lee. If third time Lucky and Edward Stone take each other on in the Arkle trial, the Kingmaker at Warwick at the weekend, it's great. It's great. We want to see good horses take each other on. But 
the upshot of it is that there's only then becomes one serious <laughs> arc or challenger. <laughs> then there was one, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I think I think third time lucky will run very well in the arc. I think now that they showed that they could ride him with more restraint in the lightning chase at Doncaster, I, I think he'll be able to distribute his energy at Cheltenham a lot better. Edward Stone has got great form, high class form. Uh, he jumps really well. Um, I wonder whether Cheltenham will suit him quite as much. I'm not completely sold on that, but I am sold on his ability. I think he is a, a proper player. Um, <laughs> so, you know, cue him getting torched about 20 lengths by the Irish. Other news today, Ahoy Senor um, reveals Catherine McRae on the front page of the Racing Post today. Uh, may not go to Cheltenham at all, which would be a shame. Yeah, I think reluctantly it might be the right call this year. Um, not, all, not for all time, just this year. I, I thought that um, he continued to adjust right. So this is a, a habit he has distinctly got over fences. It's a much bigger habit than it was over hurdles. He often ended up in the middle of the track at Weatherby when winning the tout at, at, at the weekend. Now, on the upside, once um, Derek Fox quickened the pace in the straight, he actually did jump better and straighter. And three out in the last were um, his best two jumps in the entire race. Uh, that said, the one in between two out was probably his worst, where he got in too close, upright and, and pecked. Personally, I think he'll hate the old course, um, the tightly turning left-handed old course, which is the host of the Brown Advisory. Um, but I think he's too raw for running in the Boodles Cheltenham Gold Cup against more seasoned horses, even if you think it's not the deepest Gold Cup uh, that you, you've ever seen. I still think he's not quite ready. Um, that leaves you thinking about Aintree, which is what Lucinda Russell is doing. He won the Grade One Sefton there last season, and then could go for the the Mild May over three mile one. Personally, I'd have a ring around the champion novice at Punchestown at the back end of April and work back from there. Well, time to check in with the Jockey of the Month, as voted by you, and in conjunction with Great British Racing. The Jockey of the Month this month is Tom Bellamy, who scored a, a resounding success on Eclair Surf in the classic chase at Warwick, but has also passed his best ever seasonal total. He's on 39 with a good couple of months of the season left, so 50's well within his compass, and he joins me now. Tom, uh, why do you think you've had such a had such a great run this year? Um, obviously, you need an awful lot of luck in this game, um, but I suppose the, the Emma Laval connection has been massive. Um, I've ridden, I think, 24 or 25 winners for this season. And, um, you know, that's huge. I've never ridden in one season. I've never ridden that many winners for, for one particular trainer. So um, I think, I suppose that's my sort of bulk of my winners have come from, from her. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, a real good connection so far. What's Emma like to ride for? Very straightforward. Um, she's actually quite a lot of the time just leaves it down to me. And, you know, we'd always go through a plan before a race, but... You know, with with having Barry there, who's gone and experienced the race riding, they both know that things can change and, and do change all the time. So they um, they're quite good when things do happen differently to what we talked about. That they understand there's a reason for that. You've always had loads of ability. Everyone can see that. Do you find that at the moment, because of the the relationships you've got, you're riding with more confidence? Yeah, for sure. And I think having that bit of leeway as well is, is makes you a better jockey. Like you know, you sort of. I think. Um, you can you can send someone to the racing school and teach them how to ride a horse. It's not actually, you know, obviously you need to have some sort of natural talent as well. But um, I think, you know, actually teaching someone to ride you can do. But I think the riding on instinct is the, the thing that makes a, a good jockey better than a bad jockey. And, uh, you know, you need to have that leeway to be able to use that. So uh, it's nice to be able to. And you always strike me as someone who's, who's quite level-headed and, and, and fairly relaxed. Are you putting on a, a good front or is that you? Um, I am quite relaxed. I... I 
I don't take the one thing I need to get better at is taking the bad days. Um, I do. I need to learn to leave my bad days in, at the races and move on to the next one. Cause I do. I, I'm getting better, but um, I do. I struggle to sleep at night if I get beaten a short head on something that I could have won on. You know, <laughs> it's not a, a big problem. I just, yeah, I just, I'd go home and I if. Um, I'd be in a bad mood. I might take it out on the people around me, and just you know, you need to just get 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 into your head that it's a it's your job in the day, and then forget about it in the evenings. I suppose one of the reasons you were voted um, uh, rider of the month was uh, jockey of the month was because you won the big race at Warwick on on Air Claire Surf. Uh, he he was a revelation. Do you see him as a as a genuine Grand National contender? Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, I think he i tell you the year which would have been made for him in the grand national would have been red marauders year because he does love a bit of cutting the ground um or a lot of cutting the ground ideally and um you know it's, we haven't had that the wettest of winters this year so it might all come at once around that time you just never know really do you? and um if if it did i, I would see him as having a, a live chance but all the same it wasn't that soft at warwick and, and look what he did so um no he look he, he's improved no end for well from last year to this year even and he's um Real exciting horse, and I think he's going for the the Ida up at Newcastle next, so we'll see how he gets on that. Tom Bellamy there, the Jockey of the Month, chiefly for his ride on Eckler Surf, but going great guns and already securing a personal best for the season. Now we take our focus international. The Saudi Cup is not too far away. 25th, 26th of February, the world's richest horse race of the 26th, $20 million. It's the third running. First running went to America, second to Europe. It's a fascinating intercontinental matchup again. We're getting a clearer idea of who the participants are. The defending champion is Mishrif. He's trained by John and Thady Gosden. It's Thady who was responsible for his preparation this time last year and it was to him I spoke yesterday and this was the bulletin he gave me well like you say it's a bit more of a challenge being uh, being in the middle of winter over here trying to start them up when it's cold and frosty and we've been lucky to avoid the snow so far I think it's probably a little bit more straightforward if you're coming from the US or a warmer climate where you're trying to drop races in the season to get going in sort of prep, you're trying to prep races that suit pretty well whereas for him it's been it's been you know it's been relatively straightforward and we're lucky it hasn't been too cold here but as I'm sure you know, getting him going in the winter is always a, a tricky one. Um, he's not, you know, in terms of muscle, he's not, he's not, he doesn't look like a tank. He's always, he's a nice rangy horse. He's, he's got a great physique on him, very athletic physique. He's never going to be a heavy horse, but he's definitely, he's definitely uh, grown a little bit and strengthened a little bit more from last year. Mm. And we, we did touch on this a little bit, but is there, is there anything in the training regime that's different from, from 12 months ago? Or have you largely followed exactly the same pattern? Largely follow the same the same kind of theories um, behind it, and taking the same sort of route, which uh, so far is working out. So we'll have a couple of find out a couple of weeks. I mean, is he is, is he an expressive workhorse? I mean, can you tell in the sort of form he's in by how he works? Yeah, certainly he's very enthusiastic in his work always. But then um, you know on the on the galaxy when they've been here long enough, they get they get used to them. They know what they're doing, and uh, fortunately they they sort of get in the habit of of. Um, of knowing when they've done enough and not, not overdoing themselves. Thady Gosden there. Now, an intriguing rival to Mishrif as he bids to defend his crown is a horse who finished three places in front of him when winning the champion stakes at Ascot. Sealyway. Sealyway has moved stables. He's now with Francis Graffar, who is also handling His Highness the Aga Khan's private string. And Francis Graffar began by telling me what struck him immediately about Sealyway when he first came into the stable. He's not a, of a big horse. He's very, uh, very classy. Uh, uh, I would say not feminine, but uh, he has a lot of uh, class and a bit of femininity about him. Uh, but his character is um, like my good horse, the Revenant, all these very top class horses. They have a lot of personality. 
And when he came the first morning, he was like, I am the boss. You will see I am, I am the boss here. And I said, no, actually, you're not the only one in the yard. So you have to, <laughs> to go with the others and, uh, and don't do what you want all the time. But uh, uh, so, yes, uh, a horse with a lot of character, uh, sound, good legs on him. Uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, uh, a, a nice horse to be around. Yeah, tough, good mentality. Um, is there anything about what you're seeing that makes you think that a new surface uh, in the Saudi Cup will be any issue issue for him? Seems that he's, he can adapt very easily. This horse he can adapt to the, the pace of a race. He can adapt to the ground. Uh, from what I've seen uh, before, uh, when he ran, um, with me is is much more relaxed. Is uh, is a, a nice horse to be around. And it seems that he does everything very easily. Uh, since I'm working and I'm building him up for the race, everything seems very easy for him. And uh, my worry is, will he be ready? Because he, he's so, it's so easy for him, you know. Uh, regarding the surface, obviously, it's, uh, we, we don't know until we try. Distance won't be a problem, the nine furlong, because he's a horse that jump well and can have early pace. Uh, according also to Michael Barzalona, who brought him a few times. So, um, but when you we take these races abroad, it's always a challenge, and it's a it's a nice challenge to be taken. And uh, the owners are very keen to to test the horse and see uh, where he stands uh, against this competition. And if Francis Graffard was um, glowing in his tributes to Sealyway, that was nothing on US trainer Steve Asmussen, record-breaking trainer Steve Asmussen, who was second in the inaugural running of the Saudi Cup with Midnight Bisu. This time he brings Midnight Bourbon, who's winless for almost a year, but has perhaps been one of the most luckless horses in the United States. Asmussen, however, is in no doubt that there remains plenty of potential within this thoroughbred. Um, it's all in there. It really is. Um... He is an elite level of talent without t finishing it off at this stage. Um, because of that, he has not had the success that his ability would allow, but it also leaves a lot for us moving forward. Um, as accomplished as he is or as lacking as his resume with the win, but the competing, he is still in a physical and mental development that uh, I think allows for him to possibly end up being the best horse in training in the world this year. That's a big, that's a big call, but I can see where you're coming from. Just picking through it, you know, you had the, the run in the Kentucky Derby where he finished, a, you know, to anybody else. The only time he's missed the break in his yeah, life. Exactly. And it's, and it's what that, frustration the only time he's missed the break in his life is only in the kentucky derby which is won by a horse that he breaks next next to in the preakness and runs in the ground you know just one thing after another but it's all it's there it just needs to come together and i am hoping beyond hopes and expecting that he's waiting for the saudi cup stage to put it all together perfectly and, and in terms of how he's developed over the last two or three months, building towards this, Steve, he's got that narrow defeat behind his, his Saudi Cup rival, Mandaloon, just the other day. How do you see him turning that round? What, what, what is the setup that's going to enable him to do that? 
the fact that that was the prep for the Saudi cup, not the Saudi cup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he came out of it in better shape than he went in it. It was a very good exercise. I am a sheets person numbers. And for him to finish off his start, his four-year-old year equal to his three-year-old top is ideal. And I know from the preparation going in to his last race and how he's come out of it and worked since we are, we are jumping forward. Yeah, some, some interesting bits and pieces there. I mean, I suppose, Lydia, I mean, Mishriff will end up being the, the headline horse because the horse everyone knows best. And if he wins, he is going to end up being the world's leading earner of all time, overtaking <laughs> Winks uh, and, and Arrogate. But I, I'm sort of more thinking about the season as a whole for him. And if he did dance all the dances that the owner clearly wants him to do, like the Dubai World Cup and the Breeders' Cup Classic and all that, he could end up becoming a, a bit of a legend, couldn't he, if he's not already? Yeah, I really, really warmed to Mishrif last season. Um, I I liked that run of uh, the the Eclipse to the King George to the International, particularly the International. I thought that was a simply superb performance where all the moons aligned and he got exactly what he needed. I was prepared to forgive him what happened at the end of the season, that defeat by Sealyway, albeit I think that Sealyway is an exciting and still improving and an exposed horse at 10 furlongs as well. Um, so yeah, he could be, he could be fabulous. I just, I like the way he's, he's been campaigned. He's campaigned, um, internationally, but quite, you know, quite aggressively, you know, I, I, I if he does go and dance all of those dances, he'll earn all the plaudits that, uh, he's due. He will. Um, and interesting to hear Thady Gosden saying Lord North is coming back after a year, Ooh. um, uh, to run in the, the Neom Turf Cup. And he said he'd be, he'll be, uh, ripe and ready for that. He'll take on Pile Driver for William Muir and Chris Grassick. He's en route to the Shima Classic. Um, Francis Graffard now trains Sealyway. Now that could be a very exciting combination of trainer and talented horse, couldn't it? In what's going to be a marquee year for Graffard, who seems to sort of have the sort of future of French top class racing resting pretty squarely on his youngest shoulders. Yes, I mean it is a a big burden for him, I think, to uh, maintain. Uh, the reputation of uh, you know French top class racing internationally. I mean, in recent seasons, their group races have been seen as relatively easy pickings, um, and that is has got to be a concern for them, but a concern for Europe as well. Nobody wants one of the key players in Europe to be behind the other key players. There needs to be a sort of healthy, close competition. So it was great. I was really pleased uh, when Sealaway won the the Kipco Champion Stakes on on, on Champions Day. I thought that was a, a great thing for France, a positive thing for European racing as a whole. And as I said, I look forward to seeing what he could achieve this season because that suggested to me that there was more to come. Yeah, on a slight tangent, you'll know this better than anybody else because you're quite closely associated with it. I was horrified but not surprised to see so many French pattern races on the endangered list or you yeah. know, in danger of being downgraded if they don't pull their socks up in the next couple of years. Yeah, um, there'll be a, a focus on that in the in, uh, over the year. It, it, the, the the idea behind that is to give um, racecourses and the jurisdiction, you know, due notice that uh, races are um, under fire. Um, I mean, and it's a good it's a good thing that though. I mean, we to maintain these high standards at uh, of European racing, there needs to be a taught and functioning pattern and that means that you can't have have races that are purporting to be 
listed group three group two whatever and are actually not functioning as that i mean one that isn't part of the function of the pattern if a race is continually not failing then it needs to do or be something else be somewhere else or something needs to be to be tweaked too i mean we're meant to be highlighting to um the outside world what our best races are so that they can readily understand what is the elite performances the elite sport here three for for bloodstock reasons as well we're 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 trying to make sure that that black type actually means something and it's it's to try and ensure that the you know the rest of the world as well applies these standards to their their group races that they're not essentially falsely labeled so it's right that um europe should have a uh, self-critical look at its own races and have a system that means that they get downgraded as well as upgraded because otherwise all you have is pattern inflation and essentially the whole meaning of the pattern becomes less rigorous. Okay, Lydia, back in a moment. First of all, Hong Kong now. We're going everywhere today. And Jay McGrath. Hi, Nick. I know this must sound like a broken record, but Zach Purton is the jockey to follow at Happy Valley today, yet again. With his old weighing room enemy Joe Marrera on the sidelines, serving out a six-day suspension, Zach is running into open goals with some regularity. He rode a five-timer at the city track on Sunday, and I wouldn't bet against him doing something similar today. Six of his eight rides are favourites, enough said. He has pegged back Marrera's lead to 13, and he has the run of the place in the Magic Man's absence. I reckon his best ride is the Francis Lloyd-trained Party Warrior, late on the card. Party Warrior is going the right way, and this should prove absolutely ideal for him. So, it's race six, number eight, Party Warrior. Take him in a tote swinger with number seven, a smile like yours. By the way, the COVID restrictions in Hong Kong have been tightened even further. It's a miracle how Hong Kong racing still continues. And it brings great credit on the Hong Kong Jockey Club that they've won the confidence of government to continue. We'll monitor proceedings in the coming weeks. Now, I don't want to rake up bad memories, but it's 40 years since trainer Dick Hearn sent a colt called Garitis to Newmarket for the Dewhurst. He looked one of the best seen for some time. He started odds on and he got trounced. The trainer and many others subsequently said the colt had been doped. He was never the same. Well, a couple of generations later, we have another Garitis, who won at York for Richard Fahey before finding his way to Hong Kong, where he looks like he can win again. In fact, he has strong form lines to his credit, suggesting he might still be ahead of the handicapper. So my best of the day is race nine, number three, Garitis. Take him in multiples with invincible missile. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Well, thanks to Jim, all my other guests earlier today. Lydia is still here and has a tip for you. I'm nervous because um, she's drifting, but I like Galar in the uh, one o'clock at Ludlow. Uh, was 15 to two, but it, during the time that we have been recording this programme, uh, it's seven to one in a place, but mostly six is best. Right, I'm going to get editing very quickly so everybody can get on this horse. Um, Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. It's Wednesday, February the 9th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.